salt. They're like huge seed pods. Pod, where two friends discuss pop culture and more. Here are your hosts, Matt Haynes and Jay Norman. Yeah, let's head into it to uh, Strange New Worlds and last two. Yeah, let's cover those last two episodes with an emphasis on the finale. Feels right to uh, put a bow on this after uh, first season just wrapped up. So we left off last on episode eight in our last discussion, and now we've got to see the last two episodes of the first season. How are we feeling about the last two episodes, season as a whole? Maybe we could start with those last two. Yeah, we're definitely going to zero in on these last two with an emphasis on the finale, I think, is going to be where where the meat of our conversation is. But yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, and then like thoughts on overall the success of the first season but yeah overall i thought this was a strong ending strong pair of episodes after a couple of maybe more lighthearted episodes even though they still had some emotional weight to them these were definitely episodes that ratcheted up the tension (laughs) episode nine in particular was a lot of fun (laughs) the sea quasi horror backdrop yeah, we get a we get a circle back to the Gorn. I got to see a Gorn, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> an adolescent, you yeah. know, but still an interesting application there of the uh, Gorn hatchlings that are very reminiscent of uh, <laughs> the xenomorphs of yeah. a different uh, sci-fi franchise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we even get the first appearance of the you know basically the chestbuster. I got to think that's not an accident. Yeah. While this episode definitely had a lot of like classic Trek elements, landing party, beaming down, desolate world, kind of, you know, unknown exploration. I think they get cut off, you know, their communications get cut off for a while too, right? You know, (laughs) sort of thing. Plenty of Trek elements, but also, yeah, very much this is a very, you know, a nod to you know, some other uh, sci-fi franchises, Aliens in particular, of course. So, which is great. You know, I think it's fun to see. I didn't find it distracting. It didn't seem like they were trying to like recreate Alien or something like that. You know, (laughs) it's just kind of taking taking that formula and plugging it into Star Trek because it's an effective formula. And it's not just, it wasn't just Alien. I mean, this has been used time and time again, but... As we were saying earlier, it's not necessarily a plot pusher, but um, the biggest element of pushing the plot, I think, well, besides um, Christina Chong, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get a little bit, you know, obviously of her obsession with the Gorn, you know, that that continuing thread. But then the other big reveal is the death of Hammer, that we were both sad to, to see him go. We both enjoyed his character. And you were mentioning as well what that he, the actor who plays that character might come back in some capacity in season two. Yeah. So Bruce Horick, um, who's done great work um, as Hammer. I've, I really 
yeah, like you said, we really enjoyed um, that character. The rumor is that yeah, Bruce Horick is is coming back um, in season two in some capacity, either small or recurring, to play a different character. Which you know, I guess that's the advantage of like playing a heavily made up Andorian. <laughs> you know, it's like you can actually you can come back and play a, a different alien or yeah. a human, you right. know, for that matter. I mean, again, that's very Trek, you know, you know, you've got actors that have played very many different roles over the course of their Trek careers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be fun to see if that is indeed true, you know, other than it just being a, an exciting episode. Yeah. It gave us that first meaningful death of a core character of the show. We also get a couple of, uh, very, uh, red shirt-esque uh deaths as well yeah. for the, <laughs> yeah. the male and the female whoever they were i don't know <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> that also were uh victims of uh the uh, gorn hatchlings right <laughs> that was kind of a maybe a little bit of a misdirect too it's like oh okay we, we get the red shirt deaths and then you're not necessarily expecting a, a, a main character like hammer to go down at the end of it it offered another nice emotional punch um, that has been pretty consistent for many of these episodes. What I also really liked about this episode was that it did kind of it circled back and um, kind of closed the loop for Leon with her experience with the Gorn to kind of earlier in the season, it felt like this is maybe a bit of a, a handicap for her is that she's got this, you know, this past and she can't quite move past it or move on from it. But in this episode, it's like, it's like, okay, but now her experience with that is like really necessary and helps them yeah. actually survive. Yeah. It also helps her like kind of process what she, you know, that baggage that she was carrying, you know, from her previous experience with the Gorn. And then we see her leave on her yeah. mission. She takes the girl, right, to find her family and perhaps go on her own kind of soul searching journey. Yeah. You know, fully expect to see her back probably yeah. pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, once season two starts up, which don't know when that's coming yet, but I do understand that they're already filming up in Toronto, I think is where they're primarily shooting, but yeah. And then we have the finale quality of mercy. Yeah. Oh boy. And get, yeah. And we get to revisit old Trek in multiple ways here with the rehash storyline, appearance of captain Kirk. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. A, uh, a partial, remake of uh the original series episode balance of terror i think it was uh, episode 14 or 15 in the first season in some instances we get like a shot for shot um (laughs) remake of some of these scenes um i couldn't help myself after watching this finale which i thoroughly enjoyed i couldn't help myself but go back and like rewatch the uh, the original series episode that it's largely based on and yeah it's pretty it's pretty interesting to like contrast them especially once we remix in you know we do get a a, a version of Kirk the long well it's not a long rumor but it was, it was essentially confirmed that this uh, actor was going to be playing Kirk you know and get introduced in the season before the season even premiered Paul Wesley from uh, vampire diaries fame 
Yeah, I'll take your word on it. Uh, <laughs> I never watched that show either. So same, but I do think that, I think you're right. I think that's what came up from my um, rapid fire IMDb uh, research <laughs> on who is this actor and what else has he done. And uh, yeah, what did you think of of uh, Paul Wesley's Kirk? While we're on the topic, yeah, I always like it when actors take those roles and just bring their own stuff to it, and uh, aren't trying to do a character of Shatner or something like that. And I mean, on those grounds, he certainly succeeded because he doesn't—he doesn't really look like Shatner. He doesn't act like Shatner. Doesn't have the mannerisms. Perfectly fine with me. I prefer that, like I said, rather than trying to do some copy. Although I think somebody like. Um, in the series, right, Ethan Peck doing Spock, like you said last uh, conversation, doing this nice amalgamation of bringing his own thing, but then having some key elements. Paul Wesley doesn't get, I mean, he gets quite a bit of screen time, which I saw somebody was critiquing about the finale that um, they were hoping that it would have been more focused on kind of the main crew rather than introducing these other outside uh, characters into the this story. But I think it's I think it's fairly effective and done and done well enough. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of our crew, you know, for this for this particular show. But for the story they're telling, it's necessary. Yeah, but I I like his performance writing wise, maybe less so. I know they're trying to really try to push that he's a rule breaker, that he's brash. I mean, every time he comes on screen, it's like somebody says it. <laughs> it gets kind of comical. It's like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. we we know. Uh, and, you know, trying to also give him, <clears throat> make him um, as he is in the original series, right? Intelligent, a, a great tactician. Um, and so he gets to show off some of that. But at the same time, I was probably wanted a little more subtlety in that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something actually I had, I had flagged as well. Uh, that was the stra- strangest uh, element for me watching this episode was how over you know how hard over the head they were hitting us with this idea of who james t kirk is Mm -hmm. you know i thought that the like pike's conversation with sam kirk to be strange yeah that you know they're very much like you say emphasizing that here (laughs) here's this guy he's a maverick he's you know he's you never know what he'll do and I mean, on the one hand, I guess, okay, yeah, we're not necessarily married to like a lot of the canon that's come before in Trek, though a lot yeah. of ways we are. Mm-hmm. There are definitely a lot of, you know, threads that they're making a point of connecting between the original series and Strange New Worlds. So I thought I think it's strange because that's very much not the Kirk of the original series. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, he's not a rule breaker. He's not, you know, that other than, you know, I think, is it, do we learn in the original series of his like kind of circumvention of like the Kobayashi Maru mm-hmm. um, scenario, or is that not until the film? Yeah, it's not until Khan, until Wrath of Khan, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So that, that like image of Kirk really doesn't come to, into play in like theatrical Star Trek until we get to the movies, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the foundation is laid for, you know, Wrath of Khan, like you say, and then in, he very much goes rogue for, you know, in a search for Spock. Mm-hmm. So it is odd that we, you know, get that kind of yeah. emphasis, but I do think there's a point to it in, in fairness to the writers, they're, 
very much trying to draw a contrast between how yeah. this version of Kirk would ha- handle the situation and how Pike would handle the situation. Yeah, but I'm also with you on like, I think I, I appreciate his uh, Wesley's portrayal. He's very much kind of oozing like a, a Kirk-like charisma. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's definitely not there doing a Shatner impersonation, which yeah. is great. The other maybe tiny unfortunate element of this episode was the opposite of the uh, Scotty over the intercom, which felt <laughs> like way over the top. <laughs> I I would have I would have appreciated some subtlety in that yeah um, in that element too. <laughs> but but all in all, um, you know just another, you know, Paul Wesley as Kirk, I thought was another example of really strong casting by, um, in this series. How did you feel about the time travel element that was brought in to this episode? I mean, we're getting quite a bit of that stuff in discovery. We're now in here. And I understand it's kind of, it is kind of a necessity because I think, I mean, I feel I'm safe to assume that we're working in different timelines here that they are still trying to draw distinctions that the original series is the original series and that timeline still exists, but this is some kind of alternate timeline. We've talked about that before with even somebody like right Uhura being here early, Yeah, um, you know, all these little, little things, obviously Pike knowing about his fate is different than in the, so we, have that. I think I'm safe to assume that we're working in an alternate timeline so they can have some freedom, which I think is a good, good yeah. idea. Yeah. I but think, it is quite know, a bit, you know, quite a bit of time, timey wimey stuff going on in yeah. these series. I, yeah, I'm hoping that we get, you know, between discovery and um, strange new worlds, you know, in this paramount plus iteration of star Trek, I'm, I'm hoping we get like, a nice at some point a pretty solid kind of reorientation of like where we are and how how these these uh these events connect to one another and like you say also to like the greater like history of you know the original series and the, the next generation and everything else because yeah I, at this point i can't keep track of it i don't know yeah. i mean I, what i think feels most obvious is that they're treating the tv enterprises largely separate from what we've seen in the recent cinematic executions mm-hmm. of Star Trek, which is fine. Talking about me, because I, I think it's easier to like think of like the cinematic Star Trek is definitely a separate mm-hmm. timeline or separate whatever. But it is confusing. And I th- like we were talking, you know, offline before we started, I was a little wary going into the episode, realizing that it was going to be a time travel episode. But as it went on, I was okay with it. It one because it it does have a very direct connection to you know the Pike's appearance in Discovery when we first meet Anson Mount as Pike, you know where he connects with the uh, time crystal in the in the Klingon monastery, right? So it's it's very much kind of like closing that loop, but it's also effective in closing the loop of like the question of how Pike is dealing with his, his fate. And while also kind of like highlighting, you know, who Pike is as a person, as a commander, um, by doing this compare and contrast with, with Kirk and, um, thinking about, 
some of the things that happened in the the original series episode. Um, and I thought that I thought that um, Anson Mount did a really great job of playing his older self, which you know we've seen that again before in Star Trek several times, um, different characters. But uh, yeah, I liked his performance. There was a subtlety to it. Felt like there was the older Pike. You know, you could feel there was like this kind of palpable weight on his shoulders had some real real mileage you know on him he holds his posture a little stiffer than younger pike talks in a little more measured tones of course the hair (laughs) the hair is toned down you know Um, you know something else we should mention which we haven't mentioned before is and i've wanted to say is i really like the costumes yeah in the series I think it's really, really good. It's a nice update from the original series, but holding on to some of that aesthetic. Yeah. And so I also liked mentioning older Pike. You get to see that um, other uniform, you know, from the films, yeah. um, which was also a nice change when they went to the films. I, I've always liked those those uniforms as well. And it was nice to see a little twist on that uh, uniform. And I think they're kind of, the costume design is is killing it on this show. I think it's really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Super cool to see older Pike in that, like you say, the, um, Star Trek film officer's uniform. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's something, like you say, we hadn't mentioned before, but it's really a strong feature of this series, the costuming, you know, and not to keep on, uh, criticizing discovery because <laughs> it makes it sound like I really yeah. hate that show. And I don't, yeah. but yeah. I do think, man, I really love yeah. the aesthetic of strange new worlds. And I feel yeah. like the, the aesthetic of discovery isn't quite hitting home for me Yeah, in comparison. I do want to talk about specifically the, the, um, the differences between the original episode, uh, balance of terror that mm-hmm. we see recreated here, you know, in this episode, we get reference to, you know, a lot of cool original Trek stuff, you know, the neutral zone Romulans. And we're reminded that, you know, a hundred years ago, there was this war that was fought between the Federation and the Romulans. And, you know, in a more primitive time of space travel, um, and they never even saw like what, you know, Romulans looked like. And we have still not seen that like, events like portrayed in like track right we haven't seen it in any series we haven't seen it in films and i guess doing my quick and dirty research before recording today that um that was going to be an emphasis of a season five of star trek enterprise but it was canceled after season four and that just bummed me out (laughs) i was like oh man because again just briefly thinking of star trek enterprise i thought the most effective um, stretch of episodes for that series was when they were confronting the Zindi threat and they had to go and intercept that threat and all, you know, all the different episodes that kind of weaved in and out of that, that particular narrative. It was definitely for me, the high mark (laughs) of that otherwise not so great series. Um, And it felt, you know, if they would have got a chance to like do that, you know, portrayal of this Romulan war we've never seen, they probably could have, you know, 
achieved a, a similar result and maybe gone out on a higher note, but I guess we'll save that for another future iteration of Trek. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to jog your memory here because I know you've seen this um, episode probably multiple times, but it's probably been a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend going back and watching it because it's, you know, with the, this, ep- this last episode of Stranger Worlds fresh in your mind, because it's really kind of fun to watch. Um, but yeah, once we get Pike uh, jumping forward in time in Strange New Worlds, he jumps into his alternate self presiding over uh, a wedding, which is exactly how um, the episode Balance of Terror opens up with Kirk getting ready to preside over this, this wedding between Martin and Tomlinson. Um, and then it gets interrupted by the the alert um, that there's uh, been these attacks on the neutral zone outposts. So very, very similar, very fun to watch. The scene where they, they make contact with the outpost for commander. He's a different named guy in the original uh, series episode, very much a white dude, <laughs> you know? And this, uh, in Strange New Worlds, Again, very similar presentation. Um, instead, though, we get uh, the commander, Al-Sala, who's sending the transmission, sending out the call for help. Even how, like, the base is, like, destroyed by the weapon and, like, watching it on the view screen was very, like, reminiscent of how they portrayed it in the original series, almost to a cheesy <laughs> factor, which was, again, it's kind of cool. Um, because it, that was, as I'm watching Strange New Worlds and I'm watching that, on the screen, it's like, wow, that was kind of cheesy, right? <laughs> like where it's like he, everything blows up on the screen and he kind of like, you know, cartwheels away. <laughs> but now that I've seen, you know, freshly that episode from the original series, it's like very much a nod toward how how it was portrayed there. Yeah, the scene where they they glimpse, they get a gl- they intercept the uh, transmission of the Romulan bridge. Um, how that is like they lead up to that almost shot for shot recreation. Yeah. Even the, the, uh, the kind of impromptu meeting, you know, among the senior staff to like figure out what we should, what we should do. You know, Spock is again, arguing we should attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. Um, I did flag this too. I thought it was unfortunate that they had Ortegas playing the hardliner role in Strange New Worlds. Her counterpart in the original episode is a very racist Mr. Styles. <laughs> you know, he's basically, you know, playing that same same role. So it was to me, it was kind of, it was kind of a bummer to see Ortega's having to play that role, but it seemed like it had to be somebody from the main cast. And really, I don't know who else could have stepped in there since as we, you know, we know that Leon, who probably would have been the likely person to kind of embody that role, she's up, she's on the other ship. Mm-hmm. Una is gone. We don't know why at that point in the episode, but it, and it's also, as somebody who watched a lot of World War II era war movies, you know, during, you know, that whole genre as a kid, man, Balance of Terror is 100% a world war ii 
submarine movie <laughs> set in yeah. space, just mm-hmm. like, you know, Wrath of Khan very much is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could basically be run silent, run deep, <laughs> but really fun to like watch and, and see that, you know, especially, I mean, this in 1967, that's, you know, they're very much still producing those films. Yeah. The main differences that I tagged for, you know, where we see the contrast of what, what they're trying to like really emphasize between, you know, by bringing Kirk in is that in the original series, Kirk is pretty resolute about, yeah, we need to destroy the ship. Mm-hmm. We need to kill him. He does agonize over it and wonder if it's the right call. And it's actually bones that is like, you know, again, like Dr. Mimbenga is kind of also like, mm-hmm. you know, raising concerns, you know, being cautious about like what this might do. But ultimately Kirk is like, yeah, we got to kill him. <laughs> so there's no, there's no negotiation between Kirk and the Romulan commander as Pike, you know, makes right. that different call that he's going to try diplomacy and try and do this direct communication route and kind of force that angle. But yeah, in the original series doesn't happen till the very end when they've basically already crippled the Romulan ship. And then you get a, a brief interaction between Kirk and the Romulan commander that's played by Mark Leonard, I think. Leonard. Anyway, great. Also brief, but great scene between, you know, dialogue very reminiscent between Kirk and, and the Romulan commander as it is between Pike and the Romulan commander in Strange New Worlds. And then a little difference is that we get, it's switched up in the uh, original series it's uh tomlinson the groom from the earlier wedding who ends up dying whereas in strange new worlds it's uh the bride who dies at the end and once again uh rebecca romain una's off screen (laughs) yeah thinking about this episode in particular and then you know kind of looking back at the season in general that one of our main gripes is still present here, mm-hmm. you know, with a largely absent number one. Mm-hmm. It's explained, explainable in this yeah. particular episode as kind of a necessity, you know, we don't really learn it until the end, but right, right. But still, um, man, Which, I hope yeah. that we, we get a change, you know, in season two. Yeah, it almost makes me wonder. I haven't done any research about it, but the fact that she was missing for so much makes me think there was something going on production-wise that prevented Rebecca Romaine from being present. If I'm not mistaken, I think they did have to pause during this pandemic. They've had to pause production. Yeah, that's interesting. That could very well be. And I don't know if she has any other, um, uh, if she's working on anything else. Maybe right, yeah. that Maybe there were some scheduling issues too. Yeah, it'd be, it would be interesting to know. Yeah, but yeah, so we, um, you know, just, you know, again, going back to this episode, is just as we get like kind of that, I don't know, acceptance on Pike's part, you know, of kind of like yeah. his fate, you feel like that? He's like, yeah, I, I, like, it. I like the change because it makes it, he, he instead of, right, this, the, the fate happening to him, this finale puts it back into his hands, puts it back into the character's hands. Now, Pike gets to choose his fate. He chooses to sacrifice himself for Spock, 
so that Spock then can write, because we know the history of what Spock does later in his life, brokering that kind of piece with, with, uh, with the Romulans, at least am I mistaken on that lore? I don't, I think that's what happens. Right. So, but it's, you know, so saving millions, not just Spock, but the millions of lives also, I thought that was a nice little twist to put, put it back into Pike's hands. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's, it was really, I felt like it was satisfying to see that, you know, him kind of like regain his agency there, you know, rather than, you know, be that character who's kind of running from it, um, you know, as we see at the beginning in the first yeah. episode of mm-hmm. the season. Um, yeah, we see it in this too when he meets the 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 young boy who's going to be the cadet one of those cadets right right mm-hmm. and he runs he gets he hightails it out of that room and yeah. makes an excuse and yeah and so and then by the end we get that i'm gonna choose this yeah yeah i thought yeah i agree it was really satisfying to see that enjoyed it yeah and then very quickly though we do end up getting our cliffhanger um, <laughs> old friend captain captain battelle Fresh out of, uh, fresh from uh, having a little uh, leftover breakfast uh, whipped up by <laughs> Captain Pike. By the way, let me just say how much I love that they have made Pike a foodie. <laughs> I love, I love his cabin. He's got this fireplace. He's got like a chef's kitchen. Half the episodes of the season, he is whipping up something that looks amazing. I love it it's just it's fun it's cool um as a like a big fan of top chef you know i can't get enough of it but you know for the character itself i love that it's just it's just it it adds this like bit of texture that is just really cool yeah it's fun it's fun to see uh i do not think that captain battelle is going to uh end up getting that also Oso Buko that uh, Pike uh, promised her <laughs> at the beginning of the episode, though, after she left the uh, Enterprise with his first officer in chains. So that that relationship maybe is not going to continue. <laughs> yeah. So overall thoughts on the season, on where it might go? We're definitely going to have to grapple with the situation with Una sooner rather than later next season they've already set up a couple of different other um angles uh to pursue maybe most notably that brief appearance by cyborg you know mm-hmm. spock's um long lost brother probably feel pretty certain that we're going to get some more of that next season but as for as for this season i thought highly successful i mean you know i think you know it's pretty clear how we feel about it you know we've mm-hmm. mainly gushed over the series, uh, these last couple of pods and, and we've ticked off why it's successful, but you know, it, the core of it is like just a really strong cast, largely well-written characters, a couple of missteps here and there throughout, but yeah, again, contrasting with discovery, I felt like it really kind of raises the bar and thinking of discovery. I hope that that series manages to maybe learn some lessons from things that Strange New Worlds did really well. And I do feel like this particular iteration of Trek has been maybe most the most highly critically acclaimed so far. 
I mean, I feel like Star Trek Discovery was really well received when it first came came in, but I'm not, I guess I'm not as aware of like critically how it's been, you know, accepted um, as as it's gone on. I mean, into a fourth season now, right? Um, I know how a lot of fans feel, which we're not going to, we're not going to talk about Star Trek fandom because it's, yeah. a, <laughs> it's a dirty world, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall great. Yeah. yeah. Love the season. I can't wait for it to come back. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. On all fronts. Yeah. I've um, been very effusive in my praise of it. Very few critiques and I can't wait for the next season. It was appointment viewing for me. I really wanted to see it. Although I didn't get to the this last episode as quickly as I wanted to, but still, it was in my mind, and I was like, "I've got, to, I've got to see that. I've got to carve out the time. I've got to do it," um, mm-hmm. which doesn't typically happen with streaming series because like oh, I can get to it. But this one, I really was excited and wanted to come back. Writing has, I think, has been a strong suit for this series for Strange New Worlds, which I f- still have not. That's this tells you something right still have not finished the current season of discovery um (laughs) (laughs) yeah which i think the the writing i mean and that's different it's that's a series that's gone on a while so they're also probably trying to search for new new storylines it gets a little more difficult as you as you move along you know with these characters and you've you've sat with them for for quite some time as a writer and trying to find new adventures and new angles and so it can it can bog down at times. Not that I dislike, like you said, not that I dislike discovery, but just comparing the two, I feel you can feel a freshness and uh, a vigor with this series on all fronts, really not just writing, but directing and acting and costume, all those things, production design. It's kind of firing on all cylinders and I long may that continue. Yeah. It's, um, it's very much kind of, in a lot of ways, it's the series that we hoped that Discovery was going to be. Um, and Discovery so far has only been a very small amount of time, you know, kind of this stepping back into an earlier phase of Star Trek, you know, right around the timeline of the original series. Um, and where Star Trek Discovery, like, quickly separated itself from that you know even in the early seasons where they spent a a lot of time in like an alternate universe right um and then more recently they jump like far far in the future you know star trek strange new worlds very much is leaning into like the the nostalgia Mm -hmm. of the original series taking that putting its own spin on it you know, it, never feeling like it's leaning on it too much, like, you know, relying on like, oh, here's another original series name drop, or, you know, even in this episode, this finale where we see, again, you know, that, you know, largely a recreation of an original series episode, it it always feels like it's a fresh take. It's, it's, it's using the, like the source material as a foundation to like do its own thing. And it's really successful at it. And I don't know if the Star Trek Discovery can come back to that because Strange New Worlds is is kind of owns the market on it, on that particular style. But I do hope they find maybe or recapture their groove. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, 
and I don't know if this is going to be fodder for the pod, but I don't know when uh, Lower Decks is coming back. <laughs> I'm kind of oh, yeah, yeah. looking forward to that. But yeah, I think we should, you know, we're probably going to like, we're going to probably segue back to maybe some Marvel content next pod. Uh, I know we're both really enjoying Miss Marvel. Uh, so we might have some thoughts on that as that series gets ready to close out. Westworld is back and it is weird again. <laughs> and um, we might want to talk about that. It's not something we've touched on before, but boy, there's a lot to talk about. And then, um, yeah, I think we got our eyes on uh, the old man as well, oh. switching mm-hmm. up genres entirely. Yeah. Um, with, yeah. Easily the best show on TV right now, I think, um, currently running. FX on FX and Hulu. So maybe we'll get into that next time.